What's happening, crew? Welcome to another Clover Tech podcast. Uh, it is what February second, which I believe is Groundhog's Day, right? That's pretty cool. Uh, February second, twenty twenty-two. Also, every second matters. So a chance to plug and pimp that just a little bit. Remember that there's no organization, no big hoopla with Every Second Matters. Anybody that wants to participate on the second of every month can just jump out there on social media and wherever, throw out your pro firearm lifestyle, pro 2A post, things like that. Uh, maybe you went to the range, whatever the case may be, uh, put it out there, promote it, and you are a part of the Every Second Matters movement. So we're going to be talking with uh, Ken from BRG USA and BCC here very shortly. Going to bring him in and have a conversation. Before we get to that, take care of just a little bit of business. First of all, be sure that you check the channel page because uh, I've been uh, scheduling a lot of podcasts coming out of the networking and the contacts we made at SHOT Show. You can find those on the YouTube channel. Uh, channel homepage and you can click that reminder and you don't have to worry about the uh, stock static whatever you want to call it notifications and not getting those i also want to say thank you to the patreon patrons and youtube channel members which we have a new one and i'm going to butcher this because i can't see it in the chat anymore but it's s w v marksman i think and uh, forgive me for getting it wrong, but uh, jumped on board uh, as a channel member over there. Uh, you can notice the channel members out usually in the chat have a green name with some type of a cool little icon. And then also the Patreon patrons, the vast majority of those have the blue name with the wrenches. So thank you to those guys that help keep things going, uh, as well as those that super chat, as well as those that shop clovertack.com slash shop and uh with that that is all the shilling i'm gonna do except for maybe the uh brg9 here in a little bit but uh bring Ke uh ken in so been a while man how are you i'm great how you doing <laughs> i am well so i gotta start off last night with ghost by the way check out the ghost tactical channel uh if you uh want a great conversation had one last night with uh with ken i kind of set in the back as i normally do in ghost show and and uh, kind of let uh, let the flow happen, but uh, I think you did pretty well on that podcast. That was your first foray into podcasting. You guys took a rookie and showed him all the ropes, I guess. <laughs> well, I think you did. I think you did really well, and uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you're not going to be, uh, you know, against doing a lot more of these uh, in the future. They're they're typically uh, a lot of fun. Well, I'll tell you what, I called downtown Finley police and fire and said no more sirens <laughs> on Main Street tonight because that was loud and obnoxious. It was um, it was unique. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, it's are, one of the. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, our, our corporate office here is right on Main Street in downtown Finley. So when the fire police get going, which doesn't happen often in Finley, but when it does, just our luck, it would be during that little snippet of time last night. You know, mm -hmm. it's very distracting right uh now i want to jump into uh, of course talking a little bit about about you in the background then we're going to move obviously into the the brg9 i've got to apologize to you first though because you brought it to my attention in the best of shot show i think it was video or whatever called it the bfg9 now all of the uh, i think anyway all of the infographics were correct they were 
uh, just just misspoke. And so, a weird piece of trivia for you or anybody out there: Do you know where BFG comes from? Do you know? Well, where- I know there's a there's a lewd <laughs> term of what it means in the right. shooting world, but I right. also know there was a movie called The Big Friendly Giant. I thought, well, maybe he's got a kid who's like in that age. <laughs> but I, I don't think so. No, I was thinking of I was thinking of BFG in terms of the firearm, and that's a term from Doom. If you remember the days. Uh, with doom that's that's where bfg at least as far as i know it originated from i mean uh, i remember that from when i was in college there's a lot of people that played doom and on the it was like the advent of network computing right games, right it wasn't right. it was big friggin gun wasn't it yep yep to substitute a nice to, to censor it anyway yes yeah, it was yeah. the bfg so uh yeah maybe that's coming maybe the brg can eventually become the uh bfg it'd be the brg 50 and you can call it the the uh bfg maybe. wouldn't that be a mouthful if we had the <laughs> brg bfg imported by bcc <laughs> that's a good one it's almost like a government or a military acronym uh it would it would definitely boggle people's minds that's um, right. as we're moving forward reminder to those first of all that are in replay Thanks for joining in replay, but remember that you can join live when we record these, ask questions and all that. To that point, anybody out there that has uh, questions, drop those out there in the chat. I'll flag them and we will do our best to get uh, to them. Probably not immediately, not going to interrupt Ken while he's talking, but uh, we'll uh, we'll get them asked. So along the lines of, of Doom, that deals with computers. And you said last night on Ghost Chat that you, you had a, a background in was it software engineering. Computer engineering computer by engineering. degree, although I didn't use it for very long. I got out of college and uh, I signed on actually in my senior year. I worked for a Radio Shack and that parlayed into a career in a telecom company working for, uh, we were a contractor for DirecTV and I used my computer engineering background to write software for eh, a year or two before I kind of got hopped over to management and really have not done much on the engineering or computer side of the world since. Now, have you used any of what you uh, what you learned as far as the that computer engineering side or computer uh, side of stuff with the businesses? Because well, I know I for me, what, it's it's a big deal. Tech's yeah, a big it's thing. Crazy helpful to just a. It's not necessarily that I'm using my engineering degree or any of the specific coursework that I did in college, but it, just being of that technological mindset to be able to to embrace all this changing stuff. Right. I mean, we we live in a world now where like. Any, I think Elon Musk announced last week he's submitting for FDA approval for this this brain chip that's going to have human brain computer interface. It's a crazy time we're living in, and so some folks look at firearms and they say, "Well, heck, you know, one of the most popular firearms being sold right now is the 1911, which has literally been around the same design for over 100 years." Mm-hmm. To exist in today's atmosphere, you have to be in our industry, able to grasp both sides of your brain on the classic stuff works, but you have to promote it and understand it in this new digital age on how to get yourself out there. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. No, totally. Um, and that sounds like uh, where you've been. I mean, you talk about that and that is a progression. So um, you guys, I mean, you were in that telecom, you talked about that. And then there was a local guy that started up a shop. Was that the history how it all started there? Yeah, yeah. So the, the company I worked for my senior year of college ended up being the company that I worked for for my first 10 years out of college in the telecom world. And uh, 
John, my partner, uh, when we sold the telecom business, uh, he and I got together and decided that um, I would buy back in as an equity partner and what he wanted to do going forward. Now, on the side, completely on the side, he had uh, a retail gun shop. And he is, John is a lifelong enthusiast about the Old West firearms. He loves the old Winchester, Colt, Buffalo Bill, Wild West kind of uh, Americana. And so he's got a retail shop in Finley called the Buffalo Trading Company that when you walk in, I mean, it's, it's unlike most stores that most people have been to because it's equal parts museum and firearm store. And so he opened that in 2012. And very shortly thereafter, he sinks a ton of money into opening this seven lane indoor beautiful shooting range. It was one of a kind in Finley, Ohio. But this thing called Sandy Hook, this tragedy happens. And unfortunately, he could not get his range contract for ammo fulfilled. And so, you know, he comes up with this idea. Look, I, I can't just open a shooting range and not allow my customers to come in and have ammo to shoot right sure maybe we should start our own ammo company um and so you know there, there was a, a group of us that john sat down and pitched why don't we start our own ammo company and we said that sounds exciting if that's possible but I, how do you just do that how do you just start an ammo company um so look there, there's red tape there's there's steps to go through but but we went through them and here we are nine years later. Uh, we've started manufacturing ammo just to keep John's range uh, fulfilled and occupied and, and functioning. And then it would turn into a local thing and then a regional thing and then a national thing. And nine years later, we, we've learned a lot. We've made a lot of mistakes, but we're having a lot of fun. Right. And I want to circle back around to pull the gin sake here. I want to circle back around to potentially the ammo and, and actually Buffalo Cartridge Company and that uh, probably a, a little later. But. You know, what I really want to focus on, which is uh, something, you know, Range Day 2022 happened uh, there at SHOT Show. Always a, always a great time. And walk past the BRG USA Bay there, I think, three times before I stopped in. Um, maybe next time you get you give away cookies or something. I, I don't All know. Right. That, that, right. that, may, that may draw me in. But uh, walk by a few times and... Uh, it wasn't anything on you or the, the product, and we'll, we'll get to that here shortly. But, um, you know, as media, when you go into media day at the range, uh, you have an itinerary. You have a list. It's like, okay, I've got relationship with these companies. These are the products that I need to check out. I need to check these off. And inevitably, uh, as you're going through that, you see other things. Uh, and I will say that I was intrigued when I walked by the first time because it, I did not know what brg usa was i was like what is that what are what are they doing is that is it ammo is it a firearm what's what's going on um as it turned out it was a fairly lax range day and so uh was able to you know we actually left a little bit early uh shortly after we we visited with you there in the booth uh but was able to spend some time doing a little bit of extra things like that. So uh, had it not been the weird year of 2022 and shot show in the range day, um, heck, you might not be here. We might not be talking and none of this may have happened. Who knows? I'll tell you what, we, we talk a lot in our company about, you know, by the grace of God. So right on the label, we put God guns country. We stamped that on every ammo box. Um, the, the guns that, are, that we're bringing out now have that stamp right there on the logo. 
we do believe uh, we're, we're very, very much believers uh, in the providence of God. And so, look, is it is it coincidence that we met? I choose to believe not. Um, the <laughs> first year that we exhibit at range day, yes, attendance was down and we didn't know what to expect. But I have told so many people this. Thank goodness attendance was down because we were doing our absolute best to keep up. And we were overwhelmed throughout the day with the response of people coming into the booth and trying to interact with people and, you know, really find out what did you like about the gun? What didn't you like? What uh, what attracted you to our booth? It was such a positive experience. I talked about this a little bit last night. We didn't know what to expect. You know, you go to something called range day, but you know that predominantly the people attending are media. So most of us, you know, you sit down at the end of the night, you have a long day, you turn on whatever your news channel of choice is, and you hear about media. And, you know, you, you, you don't know if you're expecting paparazzi or left-leaning or right-leaning. You don't know who's going to be there. MSNBC. Yeah. yeah, right. So we're prepared for everything. I mean, we had this long meeting in our in our hotel the night before with our team that was there preparing for we don't know who's going to show up, what they're going to say, what they're going to ask. What we know is we've got a good product at a good price point. We're really excited to show it off. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out all those jitters, all the all the nerves were really for nothing because we showed up and we were overwhelmed with positive reaction. Not only because, you know, of course, we believe we've got a good product, but because the folks that came through yourself and, and Ghost and the others that, that we met, we found out you guys are there because you love the industry like we do. You love the Second Amendment. You love good products that go boom the right way. And we just had a great time meeting people from all over the country who who said, hey, tell us about your product. What makes it different? Uh, how'd you get here? Our story's unique, right? We're, we're an ammo company that ends up importing a firearm. And it, it, it was just so much fun to talk to you all about that. Right. Um Stop for a minute for 2AEDU out there. Thanks for uh, dropping down the five spots. Says, hey, uh, I have a ton of snow to plow. I understand. I've been seeing the weather up that way, bro. So just wanted to uh, stop by and say hi, uh, show a little support. So appreciate it. Remember that you can throw questions out there as we move along. Um, Yeah, I do want to hit into how the events transpired that you went from manufacturing ammunition into being a firearms importer. but since we're talking about range day, um, you, you know, you mentioned the variety of people that come through. I know you had some some uh, women's organizations, some uh, great ladies coming to the booth and stuff like that. One of the things that uh, I thought was really neat, you guys had a tablet and you had kind of a survey thing there going on with, hey, what do you like about this and that? Um, what was interesting I found about that personally, and then I'll get to my question, was you were asking questions that I did not feel comfortable answering with as little. I ran two magazines through the thing. It's like, how can I really tell you? I can tell you how good it looks in the box. And that was one of the questions. But outside of that, it's like, I don't really know. I mean, it, it, I might put another magazine to something break. It's like, I don't know. So were you guys prepared for that kind of thing with potential answers on that form going into it? So the answer is yes and no. Uh, That form that we did uh, on the tablet, I have to take full ownership, good, bad, or ugly. That was my idea. And here was the kind of the background. So 
we'll get into this. I'm, I'm kind of foreshadowing, but we'll get into how we developed our relationship with the factory in Turkey, Burgu, BRG. Everything we do with them is a collaboration. And so there are some importers who say, hey, you've got a product that's been sold around the world to militaries and police in Europe or whatever the case may be. And now we want to import. This is not that relationship. This is this company's first firearm release to the world, and they're releasing it in the USA, and we're the exclusive import. Mm -hmm. And so everything we're doing with these guys is a collaboration effort. We know why they designed the gun with or without whatever features. They know that we know the U.S. market better than they do. And so obviously there needs to be kind of a, a symbiotic relationship there where, where everything we do is an information share. So this tablet deal kind of developed because I said, look, as these people come through, it's it's media and some buyers, but it's experienced shooters. It's people who know the American market. I want to give some real data driven. I guess that's that's the engineer in me. Right. right. I want to give a data driven analysis back to the factory in Turkey, like the, the first reaction that people have. What did they think? How did it feel in their hand? How did it shoot? Would they recommend it to other people? Why or why not? What do you think of the sites, et cetera? And so really that was the driving force behind it was let's talk to these folks in Turkey because they're obviously producing a, a firearm we believe in and they believe in, but let's find out what's the first reaction on the American market because it doesn't matter what they believe and what I believe. It matters. Are we delivering something to the American consumer that they want at a price point that they want? Because that's going to dictate whether this thing takes off or not, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and with with that in mind and the people in the booth and the, the survey thing on the tablet, was there any type of feedback you were getting that surprised you? Like, hey, we didn't expect to hear this about the BRG9. Look, <laughs> I'll struggle to, to phrase this the right way. The only surprise we had... It didn't surprise us in terms of knowing it was a good quality firearm. It surprised us how overwhelmingly positive the response was because we live in America 2022, where let's face it, right. there are trolls, there are naysayers, there are people who just for attention want to be negative, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. We could not believe, I mean, we went back to the hotel that night just on cloud number nine and we, we are like, we're from Finley, Ohio. We're a simple company. We're simple people. We treated ourselves to a steak dinner that night because we were so overwhelmed with the positive response. So it, did anything surprise me in a negative way? No. Did anything surprise me in terms of the, just the unanimously overwhelmingly positive response? Yeah. I didn't expect to have just, it was cloud number nine, man. Right. Nice. Uh, real quickly, before we move on, for those in replay, get a check into the poll, because here live, we are able to throw up a poll for the live folks. So if you're out there live, uh, jump into that question in the poll, which of these is most important when are you are choosing your next handgun to purchase? Brand, design, price, and uh, other right now design leads the way at 59%. We'll check on that a little later on. And I did uh, have a little method to my madness by putting that out there because the BRG mine might actually check every single one of those boxes. Um, so let's, let's get into how it all happened. Uh, you're out there, start up this shop. You have the range to get into uh, and not you, but BCC, obviously uh, get into the, 
ammunition and then stumble across what was the the progression it sounded from ghost chat last night that there was almost a a courtship that had to take place in order to get you in front of the brg9 yeah and it, was, it was a courtship both ways right so they wanted a u.s importer um we didn't know it at the time but it turns out uh as we did some soul searching we wanted we wanted a firearm to import so we we courted each other but yeah so you bounce back nine years ago the company starts um learned a lot of lessons i told a story last night about how we literally we bought equipment we developed loads we had brass and projectiles and and primers but we didn't have powder and so we we finally got a gun show that we paid this ridiculous price for to get powder but you have to have it right there's only four components in a bullet you you can't not have one of those four components not not in today's uh time anyway not yet right 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 so Along the way, you know, this company, it grows in leaps and bounds and then it retracts and then it grows again, it retracts. And there's some folks who were with us at the beginning who are absolutely pivotal to the development of our company. Some folks that aren't with us anymore, but they deserve like, you know, Nate and Ty and Blake and a lot of other people whose names I won't remember, who were pivotal in launching this thing and getting it off the ground. Um, this company has been through some real struggles through the years because it's not easy to stand anything up from scratch. I don't care if you're making widget XYZ or, or ammo. It's a tough thing to take something that does not exist and you develop everything from a logo to a product, to the marketing, to the the background logistics and protocols and procedures. It's tough. Anybody who's never been through it, probably could you could never fully experience or or explain it to those people it's kind of like being a parent you know people can tell you till they're blue in the face what it's like to be a parent but until you experience having a child of your own which a company is very much like you you just can't fully appreciate it so we go through all that right we build the company up we build our our catalog our SKUs. we get some a dealer network we have a, a bit of a distributor network we're in some buying groups as a vendor and then Donald Trump gets elected, which, you know, very good thing for the country in most of our opinion. It's not a good thing for the ammo industry for the little guy. And so it's an interesting thing because we all vote for him. We all we all believe in the conservative principles. But the ammo industry for the little guy becomes a very tough place to live as a little guy because the big guys are very much in control of the means of production for the brass, the powder, the projectiles, and especially the primers. And so when when primer availability gets tight and when the big guys can control the pricing, it really is not easy for the little guy to survive when our product to the consumer costs more than, let me put it this way, we had to pay more for the components. When you add them up, those four components, we had to pay more for the components than what the big guys are able to sell it to the general public for. Right. And I still got to pay people to put it together, to test it, you know, and all those other costs behind the scenes of a business with insurance and everything else. The point being, we downsized a lot during the Trump years and we had to find ways to be scrappy, you know, ways to stay alive. There were many days that there was a lot of soul searching about, are we going to survive this thing? Mm -hmm. Which is uncomfortable to talk about, right? I mean, yes. when when you're a business owner, when you talk to your family or your friends, you don't want to say how difficult it is just to stay alive, let alone to be successful. Right. But uh, but we did. 
Okay, so that that's part of the DNA of Buffalo cartridges or scrap. And we we figured out what do we have to do to stay relevant, to stay alive. And one of the things that turned out to be was in 2020, we started importing ammunition. And so where previously, you know, all of our ammunition was made right here in America, it was a bit of a, a soul searching exercise. We we obviously love our country. We love the American worker. We loved our American made product and we still do. We still manufacture ammo here, but we did choose to supplement and augment our business with some importation, which is another very viable, vibrant part of the firearms industry. And so through the process of importing ammo, we had a very successful relationship with, and still to this day, have a successful relationship with a manufacturer in Turkey that we import ammo from. While we were over there inspecting their, their ammo factory, our rep says, hey, let's go visit this other factory that's making a new firearm, and they're ready to start exporting it to USA. They're, they're very hungry for a U.S. importer. Well, we have the right licensure through the ATF to do that. But I kind of questioned, are we the right company? And I think you're picking up you know, what I'm, what I'm talking about here when I say there, there could be a bit of an identity crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. We're an ammo company but we're, ma- we're going that way into the firearms, it typically happens the other way. You look at like the Winchesters of the world, right? Right. They started yes. making their repeating arms and they eventually find their way into ammo or or even Sig Sauer, right? Right. Firearms and eventually start making ammo. Interestingly enough, to interrupt you for a second, this yeah. year, Nosler, which makes ammo and components, yeah. this year came out with a bolt-action rifle. So mm-hmm. uh, you're in good company, I think, there with the... Uh, with being backwards because yeah nozzles seems to be a pretty solid brand so but anyway go ahead yeah i think very highly in nozzle remind me at some point during this this next uh discussion remind me we should circle back to the 280 ackley improved i don't know how much you know or are familiar with that round not not too familiar i'm familiar with it i don't know a lot i certainly don't own one but yeah we could we could do that we There's could a good we story could, in there we could do it um Bringing it back to, to Turkey for a second. So I've got a couple of um, a couple of questions along that lines. First of all, other than the rah-rah U.S. and we're going to be going overseas and working with someone overseas, mm-hmm. there's Turkey, when, when you talk about Turkey and firearms, right, anything in the firearm world, there's a certain section of the community that cringes, right? So was there a moment where you're like, I don't know about Turkey. You know, so from the pistol market, I'm not sure that exists because I think that the U.S. experience with Turkish pistols has been overwhelmingly positive. Mm-hmm. You know, and look, I'm not one of those guys. Like, I come through the or into the firearms industry, honestly, where I didn't grow up in it. And so mm-hmm. I don't have like some illogical uh, youthful ties to brands that I, I was taught to be loyal to. I came into firearms at a, at a later age. And so I can kind of objectively look at the marketplace and go, yeah, I'm importing a Turkish pistol. Does that mean I can't say any good things about other Turkish pistols? No, there's a lot of good ones out there. I mean, I think Kanik is fantastic and, and SAR and, and Tsash and, and there's a couple others, obviously they're good pistols. I got nothing bad to say. So, I do think there was a a moment in time when Turkey was an unknown entity and a lot of companies started farming out their their shotgun production over there. 
And I think that started overwhelmingly well for the U.S. market. Yeah. I think a lot of people were surprised at the beginning. You know, the ATA shotgun factory is a great example. I mentioned last night I've got a Weatherby firearm with the Weatherby Element 12-gauge waterfowl gun. I love it. I switched to it last year, and I love it. There's a lot of great shotguns being made in Turkey. Now, were there some, and some of my education comes from my Turkish rep. His name is Matei, and he cut his teeth in the Turkish shotgun industry. He might kill me for saying this, but he'll tell you there's some skeletons in the closet. He knows where the sure. bodies are buried of terms that, in terms of folks that say they make their own shotgun, but what they really do is assemble them. Right. And they're a collection of factories that make parts in different places, right? Right. I don't think the pistol, the Turkish pistol uh, reputation is that way because I can't think of a stinker that the Turks have released to the American market and the pistol market. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, you're, you're along the, along these lines, I guess, then you're going into, and I'm going to preface this by saying that in talking with, with other importers in the past, uh, and I didn't mention this last night and it's something I definitely wanted to hit on. Um, they literally marvel at the factories there in Turkey, uh, at the modernization of them at the, you know, just, just, it's amazing. Uh, according to them, and I've had a couple tell me that there is not a single U.S. manufacturer that has the tech, the equipment, the type of facilities, factory-wise, that some of those Turkish companies do. So when that guy took you over to see this BRG-9, what was your impression of the setup that they were using there? Yeah, just immediately, immediately it resonated and hit home that this is this is not a company that they're not faking anything everything they're doing is is by design so a little bit of history when we back when we backtrack a little bit so matei sure. says hey let's go visit this factory well the name of the factory is burgu metal burgu metal has been in business um for over a decade at this point or, or around a decade i'm sorry I, for, I forget the exact stats but the CEO of Burgu Metal has been in the defense industry for a very long time. He started as a machine operator at MKE. And so MKE is the main Turkish military complex that's that oversees all of the weapons, whether it whether it be firearms or ammunition. Mm-hmm. MKE is it's the center of Turkish arms industry. And so for the CEO who started as a machine operator at a very young age to work his way up to the point that he was the deputy general manager of the entire of the whole shop, that says a lot. This guy understands it from a design standpoint, manufacturing standpoint, relationship standpoint, all that stuff matters. He at at some point spins off and says, hey, I'm going to start my own company. And I'm going to be a supplier to MKE, but I'm also going to be a supplier to other Turkish companies Uh in the defense industry. Um, And so a supplier of the firearms or the from the material, more the material side. Or do you know? So I would steer people to uh, their website. BRG Defense Uh is their website. Okay, gotcha. BRG manufactures both parts and complete products. Oh, okay. And that ranges from pistols to rifles to grenade launchers to other metal parts. Right. And and when you went, check out their website, you can see we're not talking about, and this is one of the fun parts about talking to 
to fellow Americans about it. Before I went over there, I, I had my blinders on a little bit. You know, you're raised, you know, I came up in the 80s and 90s in America and it was, you know, America, we're the best. And of course, I still believe that. But that doesn't mean that there aren't other people around the globe that know how to do things very, very well. Right. Right. Yeah, sure. So you go visit this factory and you go, wow, this is not this is not a step down by any stretch of the mind. They have the exact same, if not better, equipment, quality control processes down to the people that are familiar with machining. We're talking to the thousandth or sub thousandth level of of tolerances in the machine mm-hmm. on how they're creating these products and then QCing them to make sure that they're within those tolerances and standards. Right. And I can vouch for that. I mean, uh, 5,000 seem to be, seems to be acceptable for most people that are building firearms, you know, if it's, or even ammunition. It's like, Oh, if it's within five thousandths, we're not gonna worry about it. Um, but a thousandth is insane. <laughs> that's, that's near perfection. You can't yeah. get much better than that. Yeah, real quick story. It's a little bit off topic, but it goes back to our ammo roots in, in terms of how much precision matters. So we had a huge order for for a big national chain at one point when we were making ammo. And it, it was a bit of a breakdown. I'll spare you all the bloody details, but it was a bit of a breakdown on, a, on our quality control process on how deep the primer should be seated in the primer pocket of a bullet. And so most people would, would not understand that a matter of a few thousandths can make a difference. You get a firing pin that hits a primer, right? Well, if it hits the primer, it should go bang. That's most people's understanding of how a primer works. Right. There's so many factors. Yep. How hard is the cup of that primer and what's the anvil construction like? Uh, did the did the primer indent? Was it a representation of was the gun malfunctioning or was the primer not seated properly in the primer pocket? And so there's this there's this window that you're supposed to seat the primer for how deep below the the face of the end of the bullet it is. Because most people look at it and you run your hand across, go, it's supposed to be flush. So there's a certain depth that you're supposed to seat those things to. We had to actually take an entire truckload of ammo and readdress it because the primer depth wasn't quite right. Would it have been fine in hammer fire pistols? Yeah, no problem. Would it have been right in striker fire pistols? Well, there would have been an issue there. And so it's a little bit of a testament to, of course, I'm going to toot our own horn a little bit and say, hey, we, we want to do things the right way and only release products that are perfect. Mm-hmm. It's also a testament to how much does that stuff matter? A few thousandths can dramatically uh, sway your experience at the range with that firearm, with that ammo. How much fun did you have that day? Mm-hmm. It is a matter of thousandths, which most people like in the, the terms of the, the thickness of a sheet of paper, they can't even visualize that or conceptualize that, but right. it matters. Right. Yeah. No, totally. So you're in the factory. You see the, the BRG nine, I'm guessing they're, they're showing it to you there. So there's been courtship up to this point. Was it an immediate thing? Once you've seen the BRG nine for the first time, you're like, Oh yeah, we're going after this. Or was there still some doubt, still some more wheeling and dealing and things that had to be done, not from necessarily the regulatory side, but uh, just before you were comfortable taking that project on. Yeah. Was there doubt? That's an easy question. No. You know, so I walked through the door I see 
how they regard this firearm. And these people were, and when I say these people, I'm talking about the CEO through the management level to the machine operators, to the person filing the paperwork in the quality control office, just down through the line, rank and file, everybody believed in this product and were passionate about it. So I walked in a little bit guarded. I mean, I knew I was going to get a sales pitch, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. But there's an intangible quality. If you've been on planet Earth for more than you know a few years, you can start to, to understand human relationships. The way that the CEO interacted with his employees, and I don't want to use this term lightly, but there was almost a reverence mm -hmm. with how they, when he walked up to their machine, to a man, every machine operator knew if this man puts his hands on the controls, he knows this machine better than I do. It just showed you that the design attention to detail, the absolute care that the CEO put in as, as the guy who, who just thought this company up from scratch. Right. And said, we're going to be a supplier to other folks in the industry. But at some point says, I want to develop something that's my own. I want to leave my stamp on this world. Right. Mm -hmm. So you go around the factory and you see as he walks up and starts interacting with people at the, on the machines, they know exactly what they want to show him. But then as he asks them questions, how they're showing him the precision of what they're producing and, and able to take that and duplicate it across all the samples sitting there at the machine. You could tell these right. people, they're not just cranking out widgets. They right. care and understand about the importance of what they're putting out there. Right. It's almost like um, you hear artisans. You hear that a lot about, uh, you know, bricklayers and stuff, especially from, or that do rock work and stuff around here in Texas from usually they come up from Mexico. They do some amazing work with concrete and rock and things like that. Right. And yeah. I call them artisans, right? It goes beyond just being a tradesman and working with your hands. Right? right. It's like you actually care about the product. It's, it's almost a work of art to you every single time. Absolutely. Um, and, and what you're talking about, I'm going to throw this up really quick. Mike, right. Mike white says, I wonder how well, do they treat their employees? It sounds like from the experience you had, and obviously, you know, we can't really generalize. We haven't been to every factory and know every single employee, but from what you're saying, it sounds like that CEO um, has respect for the, the person doing the work and values their skill they bring to the company. Yeah. Look, so I was there for two days. Can I, can I claim to have an absolute look behind the curtain? Right. No, that, that would be naive, right? right? But being there, again, there's something about that human quality of interaction. You, you can kind of tell it doesn't really matter the language or the cultural bar barrier. You can tell when people are faking it. Mm -hmm. I remember walking away with the distinct impression and telling our, our translator which is the wrong word. Matei is not just our translator, right? He's, <laughs> right? he's our language translator, but more importantly, he's our cultural translator. When I went to Turkey, I stayed with him and his wife and their son, you know, in their apartment. It was just, it, these people have become like family to me. Right. I remember telling Matei as we walked out of that factory, I could tell by talking to these people, they have such a, a reverence for the product they're, that they're creating, but also a respect for the guy that they know designed it, thought it up, and they they feel a part of something there. You know, mm -hmm. 
I, to so to answer you know Mike's question, how what do they treat their employees? Again, I I can't say with absolute certainty. Sure. But you have a gut feel, and in life, I think usually you go with your gut feel, and it treats you pretty well. Right. This is the kind of factory that they're in it for the long haul, and they're structuring themselves both from a, a financial, an operational, and a a cultural sure. how what kind of culture are they creating in their in their fabrication process. They're treating their people right because they know this is step one. We got lots of steps in front of us. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And that's sort of a loaded question. And I responded to him out there in the live chat uh, with, you know, I don't know how much that's really relevant, uh, i.e. Amazon, right? Or Walmart or insert big corporate company that you hear horror stories about how they treat their employees. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it's tough to say. Uh, and sometimes employees complain and think they've been mistreated and they're just a horrible employee that doesn't show up to work. And I guess that's where I was going with your example. It sounds like the folks running those machines uh, are truly skilled and truly, and they're valuable to the company. And usually an employee like that gets treated fairly well. Sure. Yeah. So, go ahead. Go ahead. You're fine. Oh, mine was a silly story about something I saw on I don't even know what stupid social media platform yesterday or the day before. Must be true, though. Must be true. Right, right. It was on the interweb. <laughs> but it was some ridiculous video of this guy telling people, don't work at Amazon because they pay you to do this all day. And the guy was taking stuff out of a bin down here and putting it in a bin up there. And I thought, and? what's the problem here? Why should you not collect a paycheck to do work that needs to be done? Why is that such an awful thing? Mm -hmm. I don't understand. Right. Yeah. No, I don't get it either. Uh, Got John uh, out there coming in. I'm going to throw this one up. He says, I don't own any Turkish farms. Shame on you. Uh, You should look more into them, but says, uh, but I'm looking forward to getting a BRG nine. So uh, looks like, BRG man might be John's first Turkish. Uh, well, all I can you- say about that John Schweizer guy there, Schweitzer or Schwizer, however you pronounce that, yeah. he's probably the best looking guy on the internet today. That's all I can say. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, let's get into the actual handgun, Ken, a little bit. Uh, the BRG 9. Now, you know, kicking back to range day, uh, I've said this before, it had a very familiar feel. Um, but I remember us having a conversation that it was almost like you almost gave me the Transformers motto or whatever that uh, there's more than meets the eye, right? It's like, okay, it looks and feels familiar, but it's really not. There's some special things about it. So uh, go into the BRG9, the design, the features, uh, the different things that, although it may look and feel unique, uh, feel familiar, make it actually unique. No, it's it's on point. So. Some of the ergonomics are the, and you have to, you have to hold it to experience that, right? Some of the ergonomics are the absolute best selling point of this firearm. And I wish that, you know, hurry up, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, whoever you are out there, you tech people, develop some internet way for people to tactilely experience some of these products. Although it just dawns on me, that could be a very dangerous frontier. Uh, So, I've got one of the prototype guns here, right? This gun, this gun right here, when you hold it, the the grip style 
is you see this light texturing here with the, with the finger grooves and you know some of the competitors are, are deep grooves there etc or or no grooves there and it's just a sandpaper finish right i feel like fati and the team at brg did the perfect job in developing a grip here that as soon as you hold it you don't have to point this gun you know and that's one of the biggest things a firearm instructor will tell you is that there's three kind of fundamentals it's grip it's sight alignment and it's trigger control well it all starts with grip and if when you grab that gun if you feel like you have to shift it in your hand you have to point it one way or another things are already off to a bad start and i can tell you with the brg9 elite when you grab it you immediately know i'm lined up correctly and i'm comfortable and we had this feedback from a lot of shooters at range day the the tactile feedback you get from the gun is very very manageable it eats a lot of the recoil for you and we'll get into some of those reasons in a minute but the grip is such a fantastic feature now to your point that's something that i can't show you in a magazine right another thing i can't show you in a magazine is is the material that this thing's made of so the industry standard is 4140 steel for most folks are like they've already tuned out 4140 right. steel what the hell does that mean right right we're talking about the composition of the steel. Not all steel is created equal. Well, our gun is not industry standard 4140 steel. It's a step up. It's 4340 steel. So that means it has a higher nickel content, which makes it more wear resistant, less susceptible to stress fracturing, and essentially makes it a longer living fire. Mm -hmm. And people say, well, it's a polymer gun. Okay. The grip is polymer, right? Right. That's what makes it a lighter weight gun. That's why people call polymer guns polymer guns. What's not polymer is the slide, the barrel, and an R gun, which another thing that makes it unique is the slide rails or what what some people would call the, the, the locking block and the rear block. Those are steel as well. And they're not just steel. They're 4340 steel. So now you've got on the slide rails that you're running on, it's 80 millimeters as opposed to 40 millimeters that you see in a lot of the competitors in terms of how much steel you're riding on. Wow. Okay. You slide running on twice as much steel because the rear block is not polymer. It's not a molded part of the frame that just continues up. This is, this is a steel insert. So wow. steel frame. I'm sorry. Sorry. Not frame. steel slide, slide, steel barrel, and both, blocks are steel and they're all 4340 which means this thing is built like an absolute tank it's gonna ride smooth for you but it's gonna ride it's it's gonna last forever for you mm -hmm. uh, g23 on the grip angle out there uh, is asking is it more of a 19 degree grip angle or 21 degree grip angle so do you know anything about the the grip angle and why they what it is and why they chose that so I'm always the kind of guy that's going to tell you if I don't know. I yeah. don't know the specific. Right. I don't know if it's 1921. I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. I'm going to find either. out, though, by tomorrow because I feel like that is my job. <laughs> well, there's going to be some people that – that. Uh, so to G23, what I would say, um, it's, it, it feels very similar to a certain company that hasn't been very friendly to the 2A that has a uh, – um, a model that starts with an X. I'll put it to you that way. So it, it, the grip angle on that particular one, if you know that, I think the grip angle is going to be pretty doggone close, quite honestly. Well, I can tell um, you as a, as a pistol guy, 
I love my 1911s. Right. And this feels a lot more like a 1911. So that's the it's best way I know similar. how to answer that question. Yeah, I think it's a similar angle. I really do. Uh, off the grid out there uh, is asking uh, uh, Chris Trigger. Um, so I'll, I'll answer first and then I'll, I'll throw Rob in here on it. But my experience with the range day, two magazines, very limited. Uh, I'm going to be harsh because two magazines are very limited. And I did not have a direct comparison to some other things. Um, it was okay. I will say it was okay. It was definitely not subpar. Uh, but at the same time, it doesn't definitely wasn't the best trigger I've ever seen out of the box, right? So I'm going to say it was acceptable. Um, it wasn't mushy, uh, not a lot of pre-travel. Uh, and the other thing is why I always like to caveat that when people talk about triggers. I've seen so many firearms that the trigger from day one, the first round, and the trigger with 200 rounds is two totally different experiences. So I got to be fair. Uh, but to the trigger, did you get very many comments on that at range day, uh, Ken? And what uh, what is your take on the uh, trigger specifically? We did. So I, you know, I mentioned that survey. I think we, I think we surveyed forty three people on their way out, and there was no way to hit everybody. I mean, we were there for eight hours, so to hit forty three people, you know, you do the math on how many people per hour that is. We captured everybody we could to have a meaningful chat with on their way out. So we gave people the chance to rate that trigger from zero to five. And the rating was 4.8 on the exit survey. Yeah. And, and again, these are not, these are not um, people who are inexperienced with firearms, right? I, I, I'm sorry, by the way, I probably cost you the five. It was, that was probably me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. Look, I will not sit here in front of you and claim it's the best trigger you're ever going to feel because there are some amazing match triggers out there, right? Right. It's tough when you're taking a polymer sear style trigger and mm -hmm. comparing it to a 1911 design trigger. It's an entirely right. different piece of engineering. And so a sear trigger by default is going to have more, whatever you want to call it, mush, travel, all of the above. Yep. We feel that for a polymer striker fire pistol for the MSRP, which we haven't mentioned yet, but I'll, I'll go ahead and choose to drop it now <laughs> from an, for an MSRP of 399. I don't know that you can find this much gun from the quality of materials to the quality of, uh, of manufacturing to how that five pound flat face trigger feels in your hand mm -hmm. with the crisp break and the short reset. You know, maybe you won't go so far as to call it crisp clover, but I will. That's a crisp trigger on a polymer gun. Well, I don't want to. Yeah, I mean, I just don't want to. I don't want to dog on it. But I, again, I, I'm hesitant to say it's the it's the best thing out there, right? Um, and part of the reason is people. Here's my thing with trigger. So when I'm talking about a trigger, I like to break it down. We we get into what you were talking about with the computer engineering, whatever type stuff, right? Um, so when somebody says, "Does it have a good trigger?" Well. When it's a crisp, I think about the break. There was nothing wrong with the break, mm. right? Um, the break was was great. I would say the break was great. I would use that word. Um, but when I think about somebody says, well, how was the trigger? Well, are you talking about the pre-travel? you talking about the take-up? Are you talking about the weight? Are you talking about the break? Are you talking about the wall? Are you talking about the reset? What are we talking about with the trigger? Because right. for everybody out there, 
one of those aspects of how that trigger works is going to be more important to somebody than it is somebody else, right? Well, I may right. want a good reset. You may want a lighter trigger pull. Somebody else may want less pre-travel. And so we talk about that a lot with this gun is that it checks a lot of boxes in terms of being what you want it to be. So mm -hmm. is it a concealed pistol? Yes, it can be. Is it the most concealable pistol? Nope. There are much smaller pistols than our four-inch barrel polymer gun on the market. There are much more concealable pistols. But are they harder to control because you don't have as much to grab onto ergonomically? Well, yeah. So every feature of a gun that you highlight, and people have to understand, every gun needs to be regarded as a tool. How do you intend to use this tool? If you want to take this gun and go shoot match and win national championships, you've chosen the wrong gun. If you want to take this gun and be the most concealable handgun ever invented on the market, you've chosen the wrong gun. If you want to take this gun and say, is it easy to operate, fun to shoot, absorbs the recoil, feels good in your hand, easy to operate controls, and is really accurate, and has a good trigger for a $400 price point, and so it checks a lot of different boxes, well, that speaks to a lot of people, and you've chosen the right gun for that. So Ghost out there, we're talking about the trigger. Ghost definitely got to play with it. He says trigger was good. He said reset was a little long, if I remember. See, I don't remember that. I don't remember that. Uh, I remember maybe a little bit on the take-up side of things. Um, but again, you're talking about two mags. That was what, two weeks ago now. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I don't you should have asked for more I mags, man. I, I would have happily said, Hey, we, put yeah, more mags you there. would, you guys. And everybody at range day was doing that. They were throwing magazines full of ammo at people. It was a great range day for that, for sure. Yeah, it was um, but you still got to remember, you know, and like I said, I can say this without a doubt. The trigger was not bad, horrible. There was nothing bad that stuck out like. This is a piece of garbage. Nothing. There was nothing remotely in that realm. That I can say about the trigger for sure. So tomorrow, my day is dedicated to, I did a little bit of it today, but tomorrow <laughs> I've carved out my time. I'm sending out T&E guns, uh, uh, testing and evaluation guns. Mm -hmm. I'm sending one to you. Oh, and I nice. want your feedback and I want your, your viewers to, and I want it honestly, right? A, tr a trigger you. review right away. A trigger review. First That's thing. right. I want your and grip angle. And listeners to know. And, what did and, you I, think? I gotta, and I got to measure the grip angle, apparently. We got to do that right. too. That's right. Um, I'm looking forward to that, like I said, that supposedly anti 2A company. I'm, I'm looking forward to, I really want to put it up against that and see, because at a lower price point and no 2A shenanigans in play. Um, man, it's, I find it, I find it kind of, kind of hard to go wrong with that. Um, let's get into, we're winding up close to the hour. We've got a few, I'm going to rapid fire you just a few off the cuff questions here, Ken, that we've got. Uh, and then, uh, hopefully we'll have time to get to that, uh, two Eddie Ackley improved story. Cause I did yeah, not, for, I did not forget. There is a pin in that. That's impressive. Um, but G23 says, uh, any thoughts on doing a non-grip firearm safety? So any idea why that was incorporated and if that may change over time? So interestingly enough, you never hear 1911, 1911 shooters complain about their grip safety. At <laughs> right. least I don't, right? Yes, correct. Because it's designed in a way that you do not notice it's there. And, and so, you know, God love the designer. We all know his name. 
he he had it right. Now comes the polymer striker fired pistols, and you there's obviously multiple examples of them out there now that have the grip safeties. People say it doesn't feel right. That's why I'm so excited for people to feel this gun because it has the lightweight striker fire uh, advantages in the market in the modern marketplace. But it feels like that non-noticeable 1911 grip safety. And there are distinct advantages to the grip safety. Like there's a guy in our shop, Rodney. You guys met him out at the show. Mm-hmm. Rodney is, is one of these guys that all he does for a hobby, his hobby is I want to run gun drills. So the wife eats dinner and she goes to watch TV and I go down to the basement and I run gun drills. That's Rodney. <laughs> He said when this when he first saw this gun, he said, well, I'm a little skeptical about the grip safety, right? I mean, nobody loves a grip safety on a polymer pistol. He will tell you today he swapped out. I'll omit the name, but he swapped out a couple of very mainstream names in the gun industry as his daily carry for this BRG9 because he acknowledges that there are advantages to the grip safety, especially when it comes to quick presentation. This guy has had this thing for six months and he's done 50,000 presentations with the gun in his basement doing gun drills as well as 12,000 shots downrange. And he said, I don't notice that grip safety, but I've come not only to not notice it, but I appreciate it because when I'm holstering and unholstering the pistol, I know I can have faith that unless I'm on that thing, there's not going to be a negligent discharge and there's value there. Right. Um. So let's uh, let's rapid fire. You're going to get a lot of these as you move through the podcast world. So I think it's important that we address these questions. You're going to get tired of them. Before uh, we do, I forgot to say one thing. Go ahead. There will be a future version of the BRG family, the tactical version. And I know Ghost is listening out there, so he can get excited all over he, again. He is. The Back tactical to- version, we, we were... <laughs> he says, I'm just here to I'm troll. Just here to troll. <laughs> uh the tactical version of this gun, we we advised the factory in Turkey, hey, we don't think it should have the grip safety. And they said, well, we want to complete the family with the grip safety. But this proves the collaboration. We said, here's yes. why. When the tactical guys are out there, they're going to be running competition courses. They yeah. don't want something that could potentially slow that firearm down. Right. And they did agree to remove that on the future tactical version that's going to come out hopefully later this year. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, when, when your viewers see it, it checks all the boxes. It is such a complete and sexy gun. I'm, I shouldn't talk about it because I'm so excited about this gun <laughs> right. we have now. Right. And I'm it's, also excited about future iterations. Right. And it's down the road, right? You get into that thing. If you say something too early about something coming out, let's take the high point yeet cannon, for example. It's, well, how long have we heard about that? It's still, they haven't made it, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, you got to be careful with stuff like that. Um, now, to the point of the drip safety, though, you're right in that depending on the application. So, like, if you're doing competition running guns, something like that, and you're at odd angles and positions and other things, the, the grip safety could be a problem at that point. Sure. You know, those guys are all about speed. Not, not just speed, speed and accuracy, but um, right. you, you also got very proficient people that they're they're on the grip the way they want to be. Quite honestly, I I don't think this grip safety would make a ton of difference for them because they're going to be on the gun the way they should be anyway. Right. But we have to right. follow what the market says they want in a gun. And God love BRG. They they listen, right? 
Right. So I'm going to throw you three real quickly here from, from G23. I know the answer to these because you sort of covered them on Ghost Chat last night, uh, having to do basically with SKUs. But uh, first one is, uh, is there a possibility of a 10 millimeter CZ clone, he says. Second one is going to be, uh, any thoughts on a full metal frame? And yes, just be prepared for stuff like this, Ken, because you're going to get it. People want you to make anything and everything in the world, right? And then uh, are you thinking about importing rifles also? So three in a row having to do with SKUs. What do you what do you say to that? So uh, let me start with the 10 millimeter one. That was first up. <laughs> I personally feel 10 millimeter is a fantastic cartridge. Um that being said, I knew I, lo- I knew I loved Ken. I knew I loved Ken. <laughs> you don't even need to say but about that. Don't even, we'll stop right there. Just, it's over. <laughs> I personally love the 10 millimeter cartridge. Uh, I think the science behind it is great. The the engineering and the, the rationale behind it is great. That being said, there's a king in the market and his name is nine millimeter. And so when you are a first time importer with a first time factory, you're probably going to stick with the mainstream. So I'd say expect to see more of that in the near future. Uh Uh, The second question, full metal frame. I will tell you Burgoo Metal is a full service factory. These guys are experts, okay? Uh So they've introduced their first model to the world. That doesn't mean this is the first model of gun they've worked on. They've been parts of lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of firearms that many of your viewers and listeners have held, seen, and, and appreciated. So nothing is impossible at this factory. They're capable of absolutely anything. And I'm going to tell you, they and we agree we're going to go where the market leads us and where the grace of God leads us, and we're going to follow. And so to the last question uh, in terms of importation of rifles, Again, Matei is our first contact in Turkey. This guy knows the insides and outsides of the Turkish export business from shotguns to, to rifles to pistols and everything in between. He's even in textiles a little bit and some other stuff. We will see. If you hop on that BRG Defense website, you will see that these guys are experts, not just in pistols. Uh, they do have some extreme expertise in rifles and grenade launchers, like I mentioned earlier, some other stuff. There are talks of everything from importation to BRG USA having a little bit more of a USA flavor. So let your imagination run with that. Right. Right now. Got to got to put this one up. But uh, Black Cat out there, he says, wait, wouldn't nine millimeter be more of a queen? <laughs> so point taken, Black Cat, point taken. 10 millimeter can be the king. Nine millimeter can be the queen. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. And then uh, G23's got another one. You were talking about the tactical version. And so I thought this might actually be relevant. Uh, he says, is there going to be a flat face trigger with a 90 degree break or just a curved trigger? And what's the reset on the trigger? So moving forward with the tactical models, some of the other flavors that y'all are designing, are you working with the trigger to different designs, different ways or predominantly sticking with the same one? No, that's a great question. So even though it'll be in the same general family of firearms, um, there are some extreme design differences. Uh Look, anybody in the tactical market knows what you want in a tactical tactical gun. So whether it's the RMR or the the higher sights or a better trigger or a threaded barrel or a flared magwell, maybe I just mentioned some things that you might look for on that that future BRG9 model. (laughs) Right. 
the the trigger itself was a huge and I mean huge focus of Rodney is is kind of our weapons expert here at Buffalo Cartridge, mm-hmm. um, but all of us on the team said a tactical gun in our mind, whether you want to call it tactical or competition, there's some some slight differences there, but the trigger is such a critical component of that because a lot of the other stuff, it is important for its own reasons, but to some extent, in my opinion, I would have to call that window dressing as compared to the trigger, because that is such a centerpiece of a high quality firearm. When you get out of that budget level, entry level, whatever you want to call it, just standard everyday firearm. When you get to that next level, to me, it all starts and ends with the trigger. So you better have, that that break angle, that crispness, that reset. And there's a little bit of a style factor there too. You know, you see a lot of companies that where they I hate it when when people call it um oh what what the heck's the name? I call it the plunger, you know, your trigger safety. What is the name that people call it? the the name I hate? Oh, I don't even know. The dingus. Dingus, thank you. I have like blacked it out of my mind. I hate the name Dingus. Right. There's a style factor there too, right? You want it to look sexy so you can yeah. anodize it or colorize it, you know, whatever you want. Yeah. Um, so I want to mention the poll real quick. I did shut that one down. Which of these is most important when you're choosing your next handgun to purchase? And uh, leading the way, 53% uh, took it with design, 26%. Nearly a quarter say price, understandable. Uh, other is 11 and hopefully folks did leave those in the comments and brand only 7%. So brand bringing up the rear. So, uh, I think that bodes well for you guys in the BRG nine that people are more concerned with the design specifically and the price, which I think the BRG nine, uh, certainly has the potential to deliver on, uh, with that 280 actually approved. What's the story? So before I do, there's one thing about this gun I wanted oh. to say that I forgot to earlier. And that's we we were talking a little bit about controls and the ease of controls. Mm-hmm. And we've all touched that gun. We've all picked it up where we said, man, this thing feels great in my hand. But when I go to operate it. Oh, yeah. You get on that slide release. I can't hopefully. believe we, we missed that. Yeah. Some people <laughs> call it the slide stop, the slide release. Yeah. In my mind. It's one of the most critical parts for a new firearm owner because I still remember the first time I picked up a gun and it's, it's intimidating from every angle. Am I yes. holding it right? You obviously know the basic rules of gun control and you, you don't want to point it at anybody, but the operation of the gun can be so intimidating. Am, am I racking the slide? Am, am I running it the right way? How does the, the magazine controls work? But that slide release, we've all picked up a gun where even as experienced gun owners, you go, Oh man, that, that thing's stiff, or you got to get on with both hands. Mm-hmm. This guy right here is it's easy. perfect touch, and that's what it's trademarked as the perfect yep. touch slide release. Yep. We we had the the blessing. We were very fortunate to be visited our booth by two of the largest women's shooting organizations in the country, Shoot Like a Girl and A Girl and a Gun. And they sent representatives over to the booth. They handled the gun. They loved the way that it shot and felt in their hand and absorbed the recoil. But they all commented, I can drop the slide with one hand. And a lot of guns on the market are not that way. And so that's a big marketing feature of this gun. Right. And I will say this. I can't believe we forgot that because that is a feature that stands out. That slide release is definitely butter. It's it's great. Uh, but also racking the slide. 
Um, I remember thinking again, two weeks ago and limited experience, but I remember thinking, wow, this thing racks pretty smooth and pretty easy, yeah. which is, which is a great marketing thing today with some of the, let's just call them easy models <laughs> that are out there on the market. Right. So, yeah. uh, and yeah. And on the 280 actually improved the last yeah. thing I've, yeah, I'm doing it to you again. I forgot to pump one more thing. Do it. We've got a relationship we're working on with oh. a company called Rounded Holsters. Right. And these guys are fantastic. If you haven't seen them, check them out. It's roundedgear.com. But these guys have done a wonderful job of working with us. We're still in the in the design process. It'll come out very soon. But on our website, brgusa.com, you'll be able to, to purchase the Rounded Holsters as well as on their website. One of the things they do differently is they use right here, they use a click fit on the actual trigger guard. So it's not a friction fit where they're sliding the whole frame of the gun and using the friction of the gun to hold it in place. You get a tactile and audible confirmation that the gun is in place and in the holster so that when you place it in, when you draw it out, you know that that gun is, is riding exactly where it's supposed to be and it's secure, which is such a huge part of the firearm industry. So right. really pleased to be working with these guys. Also love their design on their on their clips where the it's, it's one of the most secure holsters I've experienced. When you go to grab that gun in a hurry, you don't have to wonder, is that holster going to come loose? They've got a very aggressive grapple technique that's going to make sure that, that that holster stays in place and allows you to draw your firearm in that moment of need. And that's valid. I'm glad that you remembered that. One thing that G23 brought up out there in the chat, too, that I think we need to mention is the partnership with Night Vision and the option for various sites as well. So keep in mind that is a thing. So, again, the BRG-9, lots of things that that are on the table with this handgun. And, uh, and people it's, it's, forget that often, right? On the night sites, they go, well, hey, I've yeah. got these fiber optic sites. Well, fiber optic sites are wonderful in daylight, but in the dark, they're not <laughs> absorbing any light and giving you a, a wonderful sight right. window to look through. So yep. night vision, those guys and their tritium night site, uh, it's fantastic. We're so excited to be partnered with those guys, both for OEM and aftermarket parts for the, for the night sites. Right. So right, 280 actually improved real quick. Let's I know. Go. We got to wrap no, you're, this up. You're fine. Go story so, time. So <laughs> one of the coolest relationships in the history of Buffalo cartridge, um, we were partnered with Kimber providing all of the test ammo to their production facility. When they rolled a gun off the production line, as most, uh, as all firearm manufacturers do, you run some magazines of test ammo through it to make sure that the, the firearm's up to snuff and, and it qualifies. So we were providing a lot of ammunition to Kimber, particularly in nine millimeter, but some other calibers as well. And we had the really cool experience of getting to know their sales guys. And they got a lot of great guys over there. So at the time it was Rod and, and Brandon and Rob and, and Marlon, these guys, we would go to trade shows and partner up and we go out to dinner and talk about what do you guys need? You know, obviously we're providing you test ammo, but on the sales side, what helps promote your brand and push you guys forward? And one of the things they talked about a lot was on the rifle side. They said, we got this wonderful cartridge that nobody knows about east of the Mississippi. It's the 280 Ackley Improved. And it's it's this derivation cartridge. At one point, it was a Wildcat. That's a really wonderful long-range cartridge. And they said, this is one of our best-selling rifles, one of the problems. And the reason this came to mind earlier, Clove, was you talked about Nosler. 
and mm -hmm. what a great company that is. And they truly are. I mean, great projectiles, great ammo. And now they enter the, the gun market. Well, Nosler for, for forever and a day was the only one making this 280 Ackley improved cartridge. Right. So we tried to dip a toe and being the developer, what we found out real quick is, well, that's wonderful. But unless you own your own brass manufacturing facility <laughs> right. to make the brass, right. you're going to be hamstring by where can you get this stuff? And yeah. to get a brass manufacturer to commit to tooling up and, and making that stuff for you, you got to commit to an exorbitant amount. Yeah. Well, right when we're getting to the point where our, our T&E is, is coming along, we're ready to we're going to tackle this. We're going to be a partner on developing this 280 AI ammo. Mr. Donald Trump gets elected and things get really hard for the little guy in the ammo industry. And so that was kind of the end of that fairy tale. Right. But I got to tell you, it's on my personal bucket list is I want to be back in that. I want to be a developer of the 280 Ackley improved round. Because when you study the ballistics, when you shoot that rifle, oh, yeah. you understand there's a reason people fall in love with it. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a uh, it's a niche caliber, but it's got a very loyal, very serious following as well. Uh, the people, it's people accurate, that talk, yeah, yeah, yeah accurate no that out to very long distances. So sweet out there. Uh, you mentioned the holsters. Uh, says, uh, I can affirm that, and they had four of their holsters. They used to be called Concealment Express. I don't know why they changed their name. So there you go. Plug for the uh, holsters. Some uh, feedback from Sweet. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Um, Ken, before we uh, close things out here, uh, obviously you mentioned the websites, but I'm going to get you to mention those again, any social media. Uh, if people have questions, who do they reach out to, that sort of thing, uh, run with it. Yeah, so appreciate that. And thank you for having us on today. We, uh, we're excited about obviously what we're bringing to the market. You would expect us to say that, that we're, ex we're excited about it. <laughs> right. what, what we're, and I mean this truly, what we're really excited about is we feel like we're doing something in the marketplace that the average American can get excited about. The BRG9 Elite is obviously the first release, but there's going to be more. This is the gun that once you hold it, once you fire it, you will realize, wow, these people are serious about manufacturing. They're serious about quality. Mm -hmm. This is the shooting experience on the price point that most Americans can say, this is what I want. Whether I'm trying to get somebody new into the market or whether I've, I've been in the market for a while myself, but I want something at an affordable price point that shoots like something at a higher price point. This is it. So this BRG9 Elite is... It's just a lot of fun. You get a lot in the case. We talked about the gun. It comes with two magazines. It comes with interchangeable back straps. So small, medium, large, whatever your hand size is, this gun's going to fit you. There's a load assist so that loading your magazines doesn't tear your thumbs up. There's a full cleaning kit. There's a trigger lock. There's oil included. It's all in a nice, neat, compact case for an MSRP of $399. And if you want to check out more, you go to brgusa.com. There is a hyphen in between, but just use Google. You'll find it, brg-usa.com. It's imported by our company, the Buffalo Cartridge Company. Check out our ammo at buffalocartridge.com. We're just a small town, Midwest, Finley, Ohio company that we're easily accessible. You can find us on the web and, and go from there, but I think you're going to like what you see. And what's the population of Finley? Just curious. 43,000. Okay. Okay, that's huge by my standards, but I live in the middle of nowhere. So uh, 
Kid, once again, thanks for coming in. You're always welcome at any time. New products coming out. You got things to talk about. Uh, I'm sure we'll be uh, talking. Stick around, by the way, uh, Ken, uh, once we uh, shut this one down. Got a couple of things to uh, to talk about. As far as everybody else, thanks for uh, joining live. Great questions out there. Appreciate them. As far as everybody that has gone this long, an hour and what, 15, 16 minutes now in the uh, audio podcast world, bless you. You're a rock star. Uh, remember, till next time, don't forget to chain fire freedom. <laughs>